Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary sang, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promises he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. So the question I asked this week of myself while thinking about this passage was how and where did Mary learn to sing this song? And on first glance, the most obvious thing came to me was like, well, there were other songs in Scripture. She would have heard them before. There's Miriam's song after they enter the promised land, and Hannah sings after praying for a child and discovers that she is pregnant. Both women sing about the glory of God. They sing about how God can and does the impossible, which is exactly what the angel told Mary in the first place, that anything was possible with God. And I think she did learn from her faith stories. Our faith stories, like we learned in the first week of Advent, like the prophets, they remind us of God's vision for the world, one where God is reigning and reigning with justice and with mercy, where the hungry are filled with good things, just like Mary sings about. And we've talked this year about how we've learned about just how hungry people are for good things. We've had a tiny window into the depth of the hunger in our own little part of Jeffersonville with our blessing box, which is currently full today, but we don't know how long that will last. We have watched people come through day after day, emptying it and refilling it. I think it's hard for us to even imagine how many people living right around us are so hungry. But Mary's song is full of the hope of the prophets that the hungry will be filled with good things, and God is showing us some new ways to do that. That God is showing us new ways to give hope to our community that we might just not have used before. I think Mary learned to sing through this extraordinary call by God through the angel Gabriel. I think that inspired her, being told she's favored by God, that she's going to bring God's only son into the world. I also appreciate that Mary is one of the most thoughtful people in all of Scripture that we encounter. 
in the sense that she takes time to ponder, a word that is used not once but twice to describe her, once here with the angel and later when the shepherds tell her what they have seen and heard, that she enters into this adventure with God with great thought. That's probably a good model for us whenever we start ministry, that we should also engage and think deeply. I also know we need to act, Chad, not just think about it. We have to do, but we also have to consider why we do it, the way we do it. Um, is it working? You know, this year we've had to think deeply about a lot of the ways we do things here, and it helps us, uh, it reminds us of the second week of Advent where John the Baptist reminded us that part of preparing is repenting, is finding new ways to think about things, new ways to believe, to reconsider our old ways of thinking and being and believing. I think about all the things that Mary had to let go of in order to say yes to this moment, the things that she had been taught about her place in society and religion and God's plan that it wasn't for people like her who looked like her or grew up the way she grew up. Surely she couldn't become the mother of God. She had to reject what she had been taught in order to see and understand that God's vision and kingdom included people exactly like her and that God didn't just want to include her and invite her to the table but make her front and center just as she was. So after having every normal thing about church yanked away, we will continue to repent of our old ways of thinking and worshiping and believing and serving God so that we can enter into a bigger, even more grace-filled, inclusive way of being faithful. In the office in the last week or two, we have seen some of the fruits of that with some of the powerful thank you notes we're getting in response to the gift cards we're giving out now. Uh, this year in order to be safe but to still be generous to people who need them uh, for our Christmas baskets and angel tree and we got one of those this week that I want to share with you. It said, Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to express my gratitude and appreciation in regards to the unexpected but yet well-received letter and gift cards. I believe that there is someone anointed to help and God laid it on your hearts to be that help for me and my sons during this time. My ex-husband left me with a four-year-old and a six-week-old son just a week before Christmas in 2014, and we're still recovering, both financially, spiritually, and emotionally from that event. And even though it was a difficult transition in our lives, we have seen God move supernaturally on our behalf. God is a God of restoration, and we have stood on that, that we will walk in the victory of Scripture. And this year has brought unforeseen challenges, heartbreak, and loss to many, but we can rest assured that God is good capitalized, and every good and perfect gift comes from God. As soon as we received your letter, I immediately began to praise God and pray over your ministry. I pray that God will multiply your seed sown and that all the needs of your ministry will be met according to God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And in addition, I pray for supernatural favor towards your ministry and those involved in your church. Thank you for being obedient to follow the Spirit of God, and we will overcome together. Now, this is the part where if there was a whole room of people, I wouldn't even have to tell you to say amen because you'd just say it, right? There we go. Birdie said it. I mean, what a powerful blessing that just keeps coming back to us, opening us up. And we see an extraordinary generosity with this program, even more than some other years. People who might never have participated have decided to jump in and, and join and donate in an amazing way in order to fill the hungry with good things. 
But when I really thought about it this year, the thing I thought that made the biggest difference that helped Mary to be able to sing was her encounter with Elizabeth in this story. She doesn't sing when the angel is still there. She doesn't sing once the angel leaves and she's alone. She doesn't sing until she sees and is greeted by Elizabeth. Most of us, I mean, no one's actually going to get to be Mary and bear the, the Son of God, but most of us don't have these extraordinary angel-appearing events happen in our lives, right? But I thought about it. For most church people, we do, in fact, actually get to be Elizabeth quite often. We get lots of opportunities to be an Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is several things to me, but in this story in particular, she reminds me the deep power of being present for another person. How much love is communicated and shared when we are fully and truly present for other people. I have to think Mary was feeling a million emotions at that time, scared and confused, excited, uncertain, maybe a little tired from her travels. She desperately needed a safe place to land. Not a place of judgment or condemnation or criticism, not a place of gossip or a place to be undermined. What she was about to share, what she needed, was Elizabeth. When I thought about it, I thought, this encounter is everything church is when it is at its very best. Elizabeth, like the church, has been around for a while. She's lived a long time. She's seen a lot as the wife of a priest. She spent decades worshiping and celebrating the holy days. I'm sure she's familiar with the faith stories of scripture. She's been a witness like the church to births and marriages, to illnesses and deaths. Elizabeth has also known her own sorrows and yet remains faithful. In her experience with her faith, Elizabeth brings wisdom to the encounter. But Elizabeth also brings sympathy and empathy. She would have experienced her own troubles with gossip and criticism at her barrenness. So instead of judgment, she would have empathy for this young unmarried girl, vulnerable in so many ways, the target of so many people. She's clearly endured the struggles and yet stayed with her faith, stayed faithful but I'm sure she wishes others had been kinder to her, which makes her less likely to criticize and more likely to have open, welcome arms for Mary. And finally, Elizabeth celebrates Mary and what has happened to her, knowing that Mary's joy does not in any way, shape, or form infringe on Elizabeth's joy. I think sometimes we have this terrible concept, this is also true of power, that a power and joy, that somehow there's like a limit to it or a finite amount, and that if somebody else gets some, somehow that's less for us, but that's not how it works, and that's good news. It's kind of like the table, like, oh, well, if we welcome too many people to the table, there won't be room for me at the table, or I won't feel as comfortable at the table, and it's like, no, we just build a bigger table. We just add more chairs. <laughs> it means more stories. It means more people are there. Elizabeth is able to celebrate that God is doing multiple good things, miraculous things, at once. 
And she celebrates Mary just as she is. And she celebrates Mary's faithfulness, where Mary is at. For me, Elizabeth is what the church is at our very best. We are a place of experience and wisdom. We've been around for a long time. And with that, we bring stories, not just of our faith being built during our successes, but in fact, our ability to survive our greatest trials is the greatest testimony to our faith. And both of those things give us wisdom that people desperately need right now. They need to hear that all of this is survivable and endurable, and on the other side, there is still faith. That we can be a place of sympathy and empathy, not just of pity or charity. Elizabeth comes right alongside Mary. If there's anyone who knows what Mary is feeling, the closest person would be Elizabeth in this extraordinary moment. And at our best, we want people to know that they can bring their vulnerabilities and their fears to church and just who they are and where they're at. And they will get a sympathetic and an empathetic ear. Because there are so many people who have sat in these pews who have experienced what you've experienced. They know what it's like. They can offer an open heart and a sympathetic ear. Because everyone needs to feel seen and heard. Story I heard, John Green was in, being interviewed an author by Philip DeFranco, and he told this story uh, about a time when he was in middle school. He had gone to a dance, which is always treacherous, and he'd been bullied there pretty badly. Uh, he's a self-proclaimed nerd, but he was being bullied about not being particularly masculine and came home, and when he got home, his dad saw that something was wrong, as dads do, um, and asked him what it was. And initially, John was trying to be a man, and he wasn't going to say anything or show anything. And he just couldn't do it. And so he just broke down, and he just started sobbing. And his dad didn't start spouting an answer. He didn't call the parents of the people that had bullied on him. He, he saw his son's pain. And what he did was he sat next to him, and he held him, and he cried too. And John said that was exactly what he needed from his dad in that moment, just learning that his dad hurt when he was hurting. That his ability to both acknowledge his pain and to just sit with it, to be present for him in that moment was everything he needed. John is now a famous author, famous for being allowed, able to put into words what so many types of pain feel like, which has allowed him to be present for millions of people who read his books. And he learned that from his dad and from lots of other people. It is Elizabeth's presence with Mary, her affirming Mary's call and affirming Mary's faithfulness in celebrating her, it is only then that Mary begins to sing of the mighty things that God has done for her and will do for all of us. I love that Elizabeth reminds us that we can help people to sing about God's glory. And that's not something limited to Chad or I or the elders or just the leaders. It belongs to all of us. That Mary and people like her learn to sing 
because we do our very best to be present for them. Even now, even in 2020, that we continue to create safe spaces, even if they're online in worship, or a Zoom call, or a regular call, or through the note that gets written, or the drive-by visit where we drop off the gift, whether it's through gift cards this year, or text messages. Do not underestimate the power of love of your presence to people all around you, even if it's limited this year. There's a reason we don't do church alone. There's a reason we worship together. It empowers us and others to sing. There's a reason God came to us in flesh. He came to be with us because there is no greater love than that.